Word of God, that then whenever something or someone was consecrated to God, it was anointed. And so therefore, when it had an anointing, previously it could have been a common vessel. But the moment that the anointing was applied to it, that which was common previously is now uncommon. And I believe that that's what the apostle was thinking, that he was thinking, God, I was a common vessel. I was scattering the church and persecuting the church. But when you called me, come on, and you sanctified me and ordained me an apostle to the Gentiles, I was anointed by God. I'll tell you how much better our lives would be if we could esteem for just a little while the value that God has placed upon us. If we could see for just a few moments the worth that God sees in you. This is not a a self-help type of sermon today, but I want you to see that God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has now worked a distinction in you. You are no longer who you used to be, but now you are consecrated, and perhaps you can even say with the apostle, it is God that has anointed us. My goodness, I feel that right there. I tell you, I want to be known as a pastor that has an anointing upon his life. And the second thing that I carried forth into last week, in which I did belinger the point just probably a little bit too long, going back and listening to the message and knowing that, uh, that even good preaching, like y'all get here every Sunday, about 55 minutes of it can be a little bit of stuff right there. So I understood that and I kind of chastened myself just a little bit. But the follow-on to that was extracted from the same verse, was established. The word establisheth was used in 2 Corinthians 1 and 21 and we took time to break it down, what it meant. We looked at the synonyms that we found in the New Testament that teach us the value of becoming. Here's a, a synonym of it, not the same in essence, but almost, and that is rooted and grounded in faith. Establishing the faith. Extracting from the word of the psalmist when the psalmist said that we should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water of life, that we will bear forth our fruit in our season. And if we're rooted and grounded in what we believe, then we will not succumb to the age of deception in which we live today. Right? And so it takes us being studious of the word of God. The Bible says be diligent in these areas. It means you've got to set your heart after these things. They do not automatically come. If you do not set your heart, then you will live your Christian life in blissful ignorance. You will waste away the gifts and the talents that God's placed inside of you. But the day that you get diligent and when you begin to recognize that God has worked a wonderful work in you. And Philippians 1 is a promise that says the God that began a good work in you is the God that's faithful to complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Right. The old song said, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Come on, somebody. Come on, I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. Come on, somebody. But God's progressively conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. I reminded of what the apostle said when he wrote to Philemon. It's, a one, it's just a one-chapter book. It's the sixth verse. Let the communication of thy faith become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Come on, think about that with me for just a moment. Let the communication of your faith become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you through Christ Jesus. That word effectual in Greek is energiazo, and that's my hillbilly interpretation of it. And, and it. But it means to have your faith energized. Let your faith be energized when you recognize that God's done a wonderful thing in you. God has taken the old man and he nailed it to the cross of Calvary. You died with Christ. You were buried with him and you've been raised again to newness of life. 
I love the passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. It's the 17th verse. Actually, it was highlighted to us in a series that Dr. Brassfield did with us a year ago or two years ago on marriage on a Wednesday night. And he shared it in a very unique application. But we started at that 17th verse, which simply says is that you should not walk as other Gentiles walk in the, in the foolishness of their mind. You should be distinctly different. We uh, take ourselves through pro- personal trainings and mechanisms where we put ourselves in places where the Holy Spirit works in us and conforms us not to this world, but conform to the image of Jesus Christ. We become transformed by the renewing of our mind. We learn through a process of study and through experience uh, that God is working in us. That despite everything around me and the confusion of the age, I am the city set on a hill that cannot be hid. I let my light so shine before men, come on, so that they may see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. I recognize today that God has anointed me. Come on, somebody. I don't walk in it arrogantly. I don't walk in it boastfully. Rather, I humble myself before the Lord, recognizing that in me there is no good thing, but in him is everything that pertains to life and godliness. Glory to God. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You and I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven today. And by our faith, we can unlock the divine promises and the favor of God. Does that make sense? And so the apostle is challenging us to become established in our faith, knowing in who we believe, firmly ingrained and enrooted and grounded in the Word of God. I've had a common thought that I've been wrestling with that I've tried not to bring too much of it into the sermon today, but there is just a little component. I hope today to be like a chef where I've opened the cupboard and I'm reaching in there because this may not be the main uh, entree, but it is a little bit of the spice that needs to go into the main entree just a little bit. But there is that verse of Scripture in the book of Romans that says this, that you and I draw from the root and the fatness of the olive tree. There is such a mystery that is contained in that promise right there that I'm telling you it will bring great liberty to your life when you begin to recognize who you are, what you are, where you are, where you gain your strength. In that passage of Scripture, the apostle Paul has doctrinally asserted to the fact that you and I as Gentile believers have been grafted into the olive tree. And when we consider Israel, we use that term Israel, and I remember a year ago really going into this in greater depth on a Sunday morning, but let me allude to it real quickly today. The apostle affirms to us that he said they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Just because you are a descendant of Abraham, just because you are a Zionist and you live in Jerusalem does not mean that you are Israel in that sense because the Israel that he's speaking of are those who are of faith in Christ Jesus. And by faith in Christ Jesus, you have been grafted in to the olive tree. He went to great details to say those who are of unbelief have been broken off. And if they will yet believe, they'll be grafted in to their own olive tree once again. But it's a great promise to us as Gentiles to know looking back to Ephesians 2 that the middle wall of partition has been broken between us and now you and I are fellow citizens with the saints and we are of the household of God. Now the reason why I'm alluding to this is because many of you in your mind, when you think about Israel, you say this, you'll say things like this, oh, that's God's chosen people. I've heard people even in the community when you talk about world events say, well, you better not mess with Israel because that's God's chosen people. Well, guess what, honey? God, you're exactly right. You better not mess with Israel, but the Israel that I'm talking about is that those that are born of the 
Spirit of God. We recognize today that we have been planted in, we have been grafted into the olive tree. We are heirs to the covenant promises of God. That today, by faith, I am a son of Abraham because of faith in Christ Jesus. And all the covenant promises that are written in the Word of God do not just belong to the select group of people that dwell in the Middle East, but it belongs to a worldwide community of faith, of men and women that recognize that the atoning blood of Jesus Christ was all-inclusive, that whosoever will, let him come. And I could come to the Father bound by sin and iniquity, and I would be a foreigner and a stranger to the covenant promises of God. But once I put my faith in the all-redeeming nature of the blood of Jesus Christ, I was suddenly grafted into that olive tree. And those promises that were made in the Word of God are not for just, they are for me, and I'm going to hold to them and stand fast on the promises of God. I tell you, that will lift your countenance. That will give you a value, not necessarily, again, in some type of humanistic way, but when you recognize what he's done in you. You acknowledge today. That's a powerful revelation, Philemon, verse number 6. You acknowledge those things today. So being established in your faith is very important. It'll give you encouragement. It will lift your countenance. You know, we had a conversation in the foyer today that the world should be able to look to the church and say what they've got, that's what I want because of what he's done in us. A peace that passes all understanding. Hope that cannot be taken away from us. A joy unspeakable and full of glory. Our ability to love people who have even hurt us and wounded us and persecuted us. An ability to forgive those people. The world cannot do that. But you and I can release those in love because we know what it's like to be forgiven. And we want to offer that to someone who sinned against us. You are unique today. The word in the, uh, concerning the church in the Greek is ekklesia. You are the called out ones. The Bible tells us under the apostle Peter's pen in the book of uh, 1 Peter that we are, uh, we are a kingdom of priests today. We are a house, a spiritual house that's being built up to offer unto God spiritual sacrifices. And so today what I want you to just uh, contemplate for just a few moments in that vein, not letting go of those thoughts, recognizing that if I'm anointed and if I'm established, then I can rest assured that God is working in my life and God's going to work through my life and I can make a difference in the generation in which I live. Value that he's placed upon my life. This passage of Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, says something to me that I want to allude to you for just a moment. It's the third verse that begins in the third chapter of the second epistle that Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica. For here is a common theme that begins to unfold in just a moment. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you. There's that word again. Third verse, third chapter. Let me get an echo that you found it. The Lord establishes you. He establishes you, right? That principle's been firmly established among us. And he will keep you from evil. Come on, somebody. God will keep me from evil. I have a confidence, Paul said, in the Lord concerning you that you will do and will do the things which we command you. Paul started in the first book of Thessalonians. He said, 
I commend you that you receive this, the word of God, as it is in truth, the word of God. So now as he's alluding back to the things that he wrote to them, and that he spoke to them in his short tenure that he was there ministering to them. He said, I am confident that the Lord is going to give you the strength to do the things that we commanded you to do. How many know that's a confidence that fathers, apostolic father as the apostle Paul was, would long for his children? How many of you know that's put it in parental basis? That as parents, how many of you want that confidence that your children will do the things Come on, that you taught them to do. So the apostle is confident. Notice the fifth verse. And the Lord will direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And thus there is to a degree, not necessarily a closure of this particular subject, but a revelation that throughout the book of Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, the apostle alluded to through his writings on multiple occasions, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a generation where we have been inundated with doctrine in the context of eschatology. Eschatology is defined as the study of end-time things or end things, things of the end. We have variant opinions of these matters throughout the body of Christ. Oftentimes, the leaders and the teachers and the preachers concerning these things leave us more confused than they do established in this present truth. It's difficult to watch respected leaders argue over these points. And then we find ourselves taking a step back and saying, I'm not for sure what camp I'm in, supposedly. Oftentimes, I think we're missing the point all along throughout their argument. The point all along is that I live every day of my life with the expectation that at any moment and at any time he could come. The revelation and throughout the epistle and throughout not just this epistle, if you study the epistles closely, there was a belief by the apostolic writers that the believers of every generation should be prepared for the sudden and imminent return of Christ Jesus. For they echoed the words of Christ himself, warning us to not fall into a lifestyle that could be said of slumberness, if I can use that term, borrowing from King James language for just a moment, where we become slothful, where the, Jesus himself in one of his parables said, but if you say in your heart, my Lord delays his coming, my Lord delays his coming, and so you go out and you begin to beat the men servants and the maid servants, he said, and you eat and drink with the drunkards, he said, you will recognize that the Lord will come upon that servant in a day and an hour when he does not expect it and he will take him and cast his portion to that of the hypocrites and so you and I should live every day in our life with the desire to be who God's called us to be to live in this life and to refrain from evil to have an anointing upon our life to be established in this present truth to do everything that God's called us to do and all the while living with the expectation that every day that I get up could be the last day that I live on this planet, that at any moment, at any hour, and at any time, that Christ could, could gloriously appear and the consummation of the ages would be upon us. Amen. Now, it's not to cause us to live in fear. We should not be tormented by this doctrine. We should rather be empowered by this doctrine because we are the called out children of God. I want you to journey with me just very quickly, oddly enough, in these passages. Let me allude. This is unique in this particular 
two epistles by the Apostle Paul that now I understand this, that the Apostle did not use chapters and verses when he placed, when he wrote his epistle. I understand that and so do you. But oddly enough, a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ is made in every chapter of 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians. I think that's probably exclusive to the 13 epistles that the Apostle Paul would pen. In first in the first chapter, the apostle spoke of him returning with a flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those that know not God. In the second chapter of this very epistle, 2 Thessalonians, he wrote concerning a man of sin, the son of perdition, that would be revealed. And he spoke, and I'm going to be teaching on these things in the Wednesday nights ahead in the future, very, very, very near future. And certainly we allude to this passage here in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. But I'd like to draw for a concluding uh, text today as we turn back to 1 Thessalonians. And uh, our passage is going to be found in the fifth chapter. But let me just briefly uh, draw your attention in the, each one of the chapters. It's just a brief nugget that the apostle would drop in each one of the chapters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and certainly the 4th, which is probably the most infamous of all in this context. But in the first chapter and the 10th verse, he said that we are to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The second chapter, the 19th verse. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The apostles' desire was to see this church at Thessalonica be in, as he said to the Colossians, that he would be able to present them as a chaste virgin unto the Lord at the appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The third chapter here in the 13th verse, again the word established to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our father to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints the fourth chapter verses 13 through 18 is the chapter in which the doctrine primarily is used to extract the doctrine of the rapture that's found in the 17th verse then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together the word caught up in the in the Greek is actually harpazo and it's translated rapture it's a catching away some translations say the snatching away then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up these words are written to comfort those that have lost loved ones along the way and the apostle is writing them, promising them that just because you've lost someone uh, as they have gone into eternity, the Bible is promising us that we will not precede them, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and yet remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. God forbid that in a, in a generation of perplexity concerning the diversities of these doctrines concerning eschatology, that we don't just at least extract the heart of it and say, oh God, it should comfort the church today to know that one day the resurrection and the life will suddenly appear and all that are in the graves will hear his voice and we will stand in his presence for, uh, for eternity on end. And so it's a comfort to every one of us in this room today. Then he transitions, and this is the text that I'd like to just allude to and just glean from today. The apostle said, but of the times and of the seasons, chapter 5, first verse. Of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 
The apostle alluded to it in greater depth in the second book when he spoke about flaming fire taking vengeance upon those that know not God. Let me tell you, to a certain degree, there should be a godly reverence in every one of us. It's lost in our culture in which we live in today. We know Jesus is a loving uh, Savior who gave us life. But there will come a day of consummation. There will come a day of judgment. There will come a day when the window of grace will have been closed. The final sermon would have been preached. The last altar call will have been given. And suddenly if he appears... It will be without warning. It will be too late. There'll be no time for repentance. It won't be like the days of Noah. You will not gradually float up until where you can try to get it on top of the ark. No, it was sudden and instantaneous, sudden destruction that cometh upon them. That's why we need to know in whom we believe. We need to make our calling and election sure. And we need to quit playing the hypocritical church in our generation and make sure that we are in the faith. Because there's one thing you and I are not promised, and that's tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. So the apostle is alluding to these things here in kind of a nutshell for just a moment. He said, but notice this in the fourth verse. But ye, brethren, but you are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all, what are you today? Who are you today? You are children of the light. Look at that. You are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor are we of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. There are many in the confines of the church that are crowded in buildings huddled across this nation today that some, they slumber and sleep as the sermon goes forth. They occasionally nod. They occasionally respond to some type of activity through that particular congregation, but their spiritual senses are dull. And therefore, they are vulnerable to the deception of the age in which we live. And the apostle is writing to these that he loves through his brief time. Perhaps just a few short weeks, the apostle was in Thessalonica before the persecution of the Jews caused him to leave prematurely. And he's writing them and he's reminding them of who they are. You are children of light. You are children of the day. You are not of the night. You are not of darkness. So therefore, don't sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let's watch, let's be aware, let's be alert. Remember, Jesus asked three of his closest apostles to pray with him through his greatest travail. And when he came to them, he found them sleeping. And he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? He said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You and I have got to somehow begin to wipe the sand of religious apathy out of our eyes. It's time that you and I begin to grow alert to the hour and the age in which we live, an age of deception an age when the spirit of antichrist is rising all around us and we think it's kosher to play church. It's not kosher to play church. If you're lukewarm, Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. God is looking for you to be holy, to be righteous, to be blameless, to be sober, to be alert, to be the light, to be the day, to not be in darkness and to fulfill his will in the earth before he returns. My God, that's good preaching right there. Now look at this. They that are asleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, 
we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Build one another up. Comfort one another concerning your faith. Encourage one another. Don't give in. Don't give up. Hold on. Stand fast. Draw a line in the sand. Withstand the oppression of the age. Know what you believe. Rest in the eternal truths of the Word of God, no matter how politically correct it may be, no matter the crumbling educational institutions that are blinded by the spirit of Antichrist. We must know what we believe. We're sober. We're alert. We're not going to give in. We're going to stand up and we're going to preach the truth with uncompromising convictions. Glory to God. That's what the church must do. It must do in our generation, waiting for his coming, for his imminent coming. Now let me share with you to tie this all together in conclusion today in this frame. I started with taking you back to a passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God has anointed you. And when I know that I'm anointed, my life is different than what it used to be. My God, I wish every one of you could get that down in your spirit. That's why we don't do the things that we used to do. That's why the Apostle Peter said that your old buddies that you used to run around with think it not strange when they think odd of you because you won't go where you used to go. You won't do what you used to do. You won't watch what you used to watch. You won't read what you used to read. You won't listen to what you used to listen to. Come on, somebody, because you understand you are the called out children of God. I have a distinct anointing on my life and I don't want that anointing to be hindered by the putrid aroma of the carnal appetites of this flesh. And so in this passage of Scripture, I believe that if we can connect these thoughts for just a moment there, that he said, it is God that has anointed me. I'm reaching all the way back to that anointing of Aaron the priest. I am a priest of God. Come on, do you live your life with the knowledge that you are a spiritual priest before God? You live your life with that way, then you realize I will offer up spiritual sacrifices unto him. I will present myself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in the beloved. The instruments of my, uh, my fleshly uh, instruments that I used to yield to sin, I will not sin no more. I will not walk as the other Gentiles walk. Come on. In the futility of their mind. But I walk with the awareness that I'm called of God. I'm anointed of God. I've gotten established in this present truth. Come on, the word says, buy the truth and sell it not. Come on, it's not for sale. Come on, I got a for sale sign in my yard. It's not for sale. Come on, the truth that you and I possess, the doctrines that we believe in, they're not for sale. Come on, no matter what anybody says and whatever religious entity emerges and begins to challenge our belief system. But we know, Paul said, from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know where they came from. They came from the heart of Almighty God. And we know them. Don't let anybody take them from you. And so when I know that I'm called of God, I know that I'm anointed of God, and I'm established in these present truths, and then I'm living my life every day to the fullness of His will, I do so with great joy and not with grief. Come on, I do so with great joy because He's alive in me. In Him I live, and in Him I move, and in Him I have my existence. I know we're persecuted. I know we're afflicted. I know we're tried. All of God's children have seasons of trial. 
And there are times you find yourself, and there are times that many, even in the church, have found some of the most difficult days of trial. But as they did so, they found a grace in God, a comfort in His Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. A peace that passes all understanding. Come on, no matter what that's going on around us, that's why the Apostle Paul said, even if I'm slain, I'm led like a, a lamb unto slaughter. It says, nothing can take away from me the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so when I'm living my life that way to the virtue of God and to the glory of God, and then as, the, as I recognize that, you know, church family, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ stood upon the Mount of Olives and in the presence of perhaps 500 of his disciples, he ascended up into heaven. And they stood there with their eyes gazing heavenward and their chins dropped to the floor and so would you if you'd have been on the Mount of Olives that day. An angel appeared unto them and said these words, the first chapter of the book of Acts, Men of Israel, why do you stand here gazing? For as you have seen him go, he's going to come back again one day in like manner, glory to God. So get busy about the Father's will. Occupy till he come. If those words were uttered 2,000 years ago, then how much closer... Is the eternal clock ticking towards the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know when it's going to be, but I know that I should live my life knowing that at any moment. That's why John said that way you won't be ashamed of him at his coming. This passage of Scripture is not the conclusion of the exhortation, verses 1 through 11, concerning the day of the Lord. But a lot of the mystery is unlocked in the, pre, in, the, in the succeeding verses. And that's what I want to conclude with today, if I can, for just a few short minutes here. It's 11.52. Give me just a few more minutes. I promise not a 55-minute message this week. But I want you to believe and want you to see the context here as we go back to 2 Thessalonians. God said, I'm establishing you, I'm working in you, that I will keep you from evil. Maybe it's an evil day in which we live. No, let's, not, let's, let's, not, let's not play games here. There is more uncertainty in the future today than there's ever been. Let's be honest. I know some of you lived in the uncertain days of World War, perhaps one, very few, certainly some of you in World War II. But I'm telling you, you can quantum leap it to the uncertainty of what we live in today, okay? If ever there was a moment for us to be sober, now is the time, okay? Let me tell you what's important for you. How am I going to remain in that capacity? How am I going to remain in that capacity? I think it's unlocked for us just a little bit in these following verses, just in closing today. I love this, and we beseech you, brethren. Those are my favorite words, and we beseech you. Doesn't that sound great? And we beseech you, brethren, to know them who labor among you. That's a powerful exhortation. Because, let me tell you, in today's world today, there's a lot of charlatans that are hiding out behind pulpits today. There's a lot of people carrying titles and religious clerical uh, cards in their pocket. They're, they're nothing more than wolves. Come on, somebody. Not in sheep's clothing, but false shepherds, if you will. And the apostle said, you need to know. You need to know those who labor among you. And when you recognize, that's why we encourage everybody, you need to be a part of a fellowship of faith. 
You need to quit just filtering in and out of church. You need to be rooted and established and you need to have a man or a woman of God that you know their character, you know who they are, you know the standards that they live by. It's measured out to you and the anointing that's upon their life. They're not playing games. They're not, clear, uh, they're not career clergymen, but they are distinct God-called five-fold ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you recognize it, you line, come on somebody, you line your life up with the call of God that's upon their life. That's what the word says. And so he said, Know those who labor among you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Daryl, join me on the platform if you would. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. If you're unruly, I'm warning you today. You better watch out. I'm going to tell you because if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. So he said, I'm warning you right now in the name of Jesus. Warn those, even in the church, who are unruly. If you're feeble-minded, then we want to rally to you and comfort you today. If you're weak, oh my God, on the, on the, on the, on the altar call a while ago, it was a powerful thing, wasn't it, Jojo? It wasn't just a few pastors praying for a select group. It was, it was the body strengthening the body. The hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of thee. We need one another. We need to lean and gain strength from one another. And so he said, comfort the weak and be patient toward all men. See that none in the vein and the context of the return of Christ, how am I going to live? I'm not going to render evil for evil to any man. We respond differently than the world. I'm going to follow that which is good, both among myself and to all men. I'm going to rejoice evermore no matter what's going on in my life Paul would later say in the book of Philippians or earlier say in the book of Philippians rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice joy is the work of the spirit it's not dependent upon the circumstances of your life you can have a, a doctor's report telling you you're going to die and still have joy because it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life. It's not dependent upon circumstances around you. So he said, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Jesus said, never give up in prayer. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Come on, don't grow weary in well-doing. Continue to pray, intercede, call upon the name of the Lord. Pastor, I can't do any. Yes, you can pray. You can intercede. Your voice can be heard. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, Father, I want to thank you. Come on, somebody. How will you yet live as a member of the body of Christ in a darkened world, giving thanks to God for every good thing that comes from the Father of lights? Because I want my life to be a witness to those that are around me. 19th verse, quench not the spirit. Let me tell you, despise, 20th verse, not prophesying. I want to be a part of a church. I hope you do as well. That recognizes that the work of the Spirit is not limited to a dispensation and a generation have gone by. But that we are today still functioning under the divine unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right?
that we have the ability to prophesy. I can speak unto you under edification, exhortation, and comfort. Out of my own spirit can bubble up a stream of water of life that will bring encouraging words that will build my spirit in the name of Jesus. I don't want to be a part of a church that quenches the spirit, that says God doesn't do these things, that limits the voice of God, but I want to be a part of a church that says, Lord, speak to me. I'm like Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening, God. Let me hear your voice. Good things happen when the children of God are prophesying among us. We're edifying one another in love. Glory to God. Quench not the spirit. He said, improve all things. As prophetical words are emerging, I'm going to hold fast to that which is good. And he said, I'm going to abstain from all appearance of evil. And then the 23rd verse to culminate today. In lieu, in light of, in the full ramification of his sudden and imminent coming, what's my prayer for you today? I pray that God will sanctify you wholly. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doctrine should be alive in our hearts today that Jesus Christ is coming. Every eye shall see him even those that will look upon him that pierced him. We know that he's going to appear. We know with flaming fire he's going to take vengeance upon those that know not God. We know that he's not appointed unto us to wrath, but we will appear with him. Amen? Shouldn't that give us great comfort today and encouragement? But you don't know the day or the hour, so how should I yet live? I should be preserved blameless in his sight living my life with the knowledge that God has chosen me to be different, to be different from the corruption that's in the world. I'm telling you, church family, if ever there was a time that we need a a revival, a great awakening in the church, it's where we're at today. Today. Our lives have grown so carnal. Honey, Dr. Brassel, you see the church across. We've grown so carnal. This is not a condescending this is not a condemning message, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, use not your liberty as an occasion of the flesh. Use your liberty to serve Christ. Right? It's okay to put things away. It's okay to separate yourself from certain things so that you can keep that anointing flowing in your life, clean and pure, holy before God. I tell you, again, as I'm closing this message today, it's going back to the beginning that when you know that you're anointed, then you'll live a different life. You will. You will today. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God for just a few moments today in the name of Jesus. I want to give an invitation today, first of all, that would be most paramount in this room real quickly. <laughs> Neighbors, you bowed your head in the presence of God, and I just want you to begin to search inwardly for just a moment. See, if you are in the faith, you should have a calm assurance that if he were to appear today, you would not be ashamed of him at his coming. If he were to appear today, if he were to appear today, you would not be ashamed of him at his coming. You would be confident in the faith. You would be confident in the Lord. If you don't have that confidence, please let me pray with you today. 
don't come to this church every week and hear me preach and miss heaven's eternity. What a shame that will be. What a shame. And it's happened in generations gone by. People have come faithfully to church with a hardened heart and they never turned their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I do not have that calm assurance, that full assurance that I'm in the faith, Pastor Brown, would you pray with me? I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Can I see your hand today? Would you raise it up to identify that you say, I don't have that peace. I would like to have that peace. I'd like to know that Christ is my Savior. So anyone today, as I look across the room, number two, second fold, invitation today. We've already had a tremendous prayer time today, but this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. Who here today would just simply say, Pastor Brown, I recognize that in my life, in my life, I have the opportunity to really to be able to, to live that sanctified and holy life to bring God glory, to live separate. And, and I want to make sure, I want to make sure that I'm being that person that God's called me to be, that I'm living with the awareness that there's an anointing in my life, I'm stable in the faith, and He's keeping me from evil. And I just want today to just, I just want to, I just want a reaffirmation of that in this room today and just to just say, I want to present myself unto the Lord. I just, matter of fact, I feel, I want to ask everybody to stand up today. I feel something led to do in closing today. Listen, I make no apologies for this today. I make no apologies. I want to just ask those of you today that are just saying, Pastor, I'm just, I'm serious about my faith. I want to be whole. I want to be sanctified wholly in every area of my life. I want to be sober. I want to be vigilant. I want to be alert. I want to be awake spiritually. Then I want to ask you to just come to the front of the church and we're going to pray a closing prayer where we're just saying, God, here I am. Sanctify me wholly, spirit, soul, and body. Sanctify me. God's got a perfect will for your life. He's destined you. He's anointed you. He's established you. He's given you gifts and callings. Don't waste them. He wants to use you as a witness. He wants you to be a living epistle written and read among men. He wants all that's within you, all the good things that he's placed inside of you to be used for his divine purpose in the name of Jesus. You're that voice to that person that doesn't know the Lord. You're that light. You're the church. You're that uh, city set on a hill. It's not a four-walled building. It's a living witness. That's who you are. You're sanctified holy unto God. Holy unto God. And so as we're praying here together today, my prayer is over you. It's a very deceptive age. I'm going to unveil some things in the weeks ahead on Wednesday night and subsequently some of which will fall into Sunday morning, things that you have probably never even contemplated in days gone by. And I'm just telling you, it's a very, very deceptive age in which we live. Our young adults are being deceived by, by in masses, uh, children and youth raised in Christian homes and, and, and raised in our children's youth groups. They go off to college and the grip of the world and the pull and the lust of the world pull them into a life of almost apostasy and so we've got to have a distinct anointing upon us we've got to be different we've got to be sanctified holy unto God holy unto God father is the pastor of this great church today it's the pastor of this great church every person that's come forward today has come forward in some type of statement of faith They've come in a statement of faith to just simply say, God, I recognize the urgency of the hour. 
I don't want to be found like the Apostle Peter or James and John that in the most uh, important hour of my life I was found asleep. But Father, the Word says for me to be sober, to be vigilant, to watch, to not be caught in the darkness, to not be caught in the night, to not be in the darkness, but to be the light, God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray over every man and woman, boy and girl that came to the front today and those that only by virtue of the room that came to the altar and those that stayed back only because the, the crowd at the front. God, every person whose heart is pure and sincere before you, God, I pray that you put that fresh fragrance of your anointing upon their life. I pray that they will with confidence be able to say, it is God that has anointed me and it is God that has established just me and it's God that keeps me from evil. It's God that keeps me from from evil. So God, I'm praying over this church family. Keep them today. Keep them from evil and keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the seduction of the age and the deception of the Antichrist. Father, I pray that simple prayer. I want to ask every parent here today, every father and mother and grandfather and grandmother that's under the sound of my voice, that right now, right where you are, you're praying for your children. I want to ask you for the next one minute of time that you just begin to call upon the name of God, that you pray without ceasing, that you're praying the grace of God.